your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. We were in fault to the near side. Ramir Johnson splits out. It's an empty backfield now for McCaffrey. Luke gets the snap. Going to follow off the right side. Cuts in the middle. Breaks a tackle into the end zone. Touchdown, Nebraska. Luke McCaffrey from five yards out. The Huskers a point away from tying the game. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Here we are, back for another week. Yeah, you can't scare us off. You can't chase us off. We're like the mailman. We're here. Rain, sleet, snow, thunderstorm, hurricanes. We've kind of had it all, haven't we? Last 48 hours. Well, that was a stinker. Saturday. Can't sugarcoat that one. It was a bad day for Husker football. They get whipped by Illinois 41-23. We'll let you we'll let you we'll roll out the couch tonight. You can jump on there and fire away at us here tonight. about your thoughts about the game on Saturday with Illinois. Head coach did have a press conference today. We'll play you some clips of that coming up here in a few minutes. Monday's with Matt. That'll be at the top of hour number two. Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com will be by to talk about Big weekend in the Big Ten. Obviously, it was really huge to kind of have now two favorites to win the divisions, and that would be Northwestern and Ohio State after their win. So Adam will recap all that with us coming up in hour number two. We'll have our weekend rewind and then our weekend winners in hour number three. Here are the numbers. 531-500-4686 if you want to call or fire off a text. And this is just one of those shows you just – it's hard to find positives out of what, and even the head coach has said that too. He called it embarrassing in his post-game press conference Saturday. And, you know, tip your cap to Illinois. You have to do that because to not do that would not acknowledge that they played really well. They forced turnovers. Brandon Peters played maybe his best game in college. He was terrific through some some balls into some buckets. The touchdown to Ermatter Bebe was a terrific throw that he made over the top of DiCaprio Boodle. But I, I just, when I looked out there, Ben, I saw an unmotivated Husker team that didn't have a lot of fire in their belly. Didn't didn't look like they played overly hard. Um, and didn't put up much of a fight to a team that shouldn't come in and do that to you in your house. Yeah, one of those games that you throw your arms up and go... What the bleep is going on? Um, you're really from the from the the word go. Uh, <laughs> first play from scrimmage, and then I like probably so many just sat back and waited for things to get better, and they and they never did. You know, Nebraska goes down, scores, makes it seven seven, and you know there just ro- wasn't really a lot of energy after that. I mean, it kind of felt like um, they were just completely completely and utterly dominated on the football field by a team that they needed to do that too. Um, I was really down yesterday, really like maybe the most down I've been in years with, with the team. Uh, just, just couldn't seem to put it behind me. Couldn't seem to shake it. And, and it's just so wildly disappointing because I feel like every time that this team takes one step forward, something like this ha- happens and we're three steps back. And I never thought one week ago from today that 
we would be sitting back and reflecting on on where we are as a program after a game with Illinois. I, I just I did not see that coming. And and my big question was, did the coaches see it coming? Because what's come out since is that the players, um, a few of them that have spoken, talked about the lackluster week of practice and, and you know could sense things during the week that weren't being done correctly, weren't being done at the level that they needed to be done. And then, you know, we hear Coach Frost in his post game say, I, I didn't see it coming. And so I'm wondering where the where the disconnect was and, and really what happened over the course of the week that the coaches weren't weren't aware of. And it's clearly there's clearly a lot of issues going on because you we can't just sit here and point to the offensive line or to the special teams or to the turnovers because you know, there was like six or seven ingredients in that football game that allowed what happened to happen. And and now, you know, instead of us talking about two wins in a row and and getting ready for a huge game with Iowa, we're talking about, you know, all these other things that aren't going to be what's going to happen against Iowa. And and that that's the most disappointing thing to me is because all last week I said that that game on Saturday needed to be a confidence-boosting game for so many parts of the team to the receivers who have yet to get going, to the passing game, which has yet to get going, to a running back, which has yet to get going. Um, you felt like you know the defense could continue to build – and and play with some swagger. The black shirts were handed out last week. They played in those black uniforms on Saturday. That should have been enough to give them juice, but uh, apparently, apparently not. So this is uh, th- this is just a really really tough week to digest. And the the th- the thing that's concerning isn't necessarily what's hap- what happened on Saturday. It's what could potentially happen on Friday with an Iowa team that is just foaming at the mouth right now to welcome in the Huskers and just get after them the way they've played the last few weeks. So th- this show has a 180 tone of what I thought it would be one week ago from today. And, and, it, and it stinks to say that, but here we are again. Again, 531-500-4686, the number if you want to dot us up with a comment or question or fire off a text on our U.S. Cellular text line. Proud to be the official wireless sponsor of the Huskers, U.S. Cellular Connecting Husker Nation. Five turnovers. You're not going to beat anybody with five turnovers, and particularly when you don't get any yourself. And so it was a complete one-sided way in the turnover margin. Luke McCaffrey's second start at quarterback. The game got off to the rocky start with the odd play where he's running down the line, looking to flip it out in the flat. To my to my eyes, and I think the replays bared this out, he crossed the line of scrimmage before he threw the football. The, the officials ruled it a lateral, said it was a backward pass. We had a pretty good look at it. I don't think there's any way it was a backward pass. But that really kind of set the tone, and, and yet – Illinois scores, and Nebraska comes right back. And I even said it on the air, Ben, that you, you love that. Nebraska answered right back and tied it up. So, so that you should have been able to put that play behind you. But it just seemed like it kind of kept going that way the rest of the day. And then I thought to start the second half, you're down 28-10 to 10 at halftime. They get the ball to start. You, get, you play really solid defense and, and force a punt. But you don't cover the punter because you only have 10 guys out on the field. 
And again, that's coaching, right? I mean, it is. You, you, whoever's in charge of that unit has got to make sure that the right guys are out there. And so the punter who doesn't want to go run, you could tell that he did like a disco dance at the 35-yard line, a little swivel hip action before he finally finished off the run and got the first down. You, then Illinois then goes and bleeds about six minutes of the clock and gets a field goal. And at that point, you're like, this this baby's over now. Yeah. Uh, so t- to start the game and to start the second half, you can't do anything. You didn't do anything right either, either time in, in that game on Saturday. And it felt like that was your chance because the defense hadn't shown any signs all day of slowing down what to, to that point had been a pretty bad offense. I mean, if, if we're not, if we're calling it what it is, the only, the only sign of life Illinois, Illinois offense showed all year was with Isaiah Williams, at quarterback last week against Rutgers. Um, but Brandon Peters comes back, plays really well, makes a lot of good throws. Um, wasn't really pressured at all. Illinois was able to run it right down Nebraska's throat whenever they wanted to. And that was the frustrating part, Greg. It's like, Sitting back and watching the game, Nebraska didn't take anything away from the Illini. It wasn't like they took away the receiving game or they took away Barker or they took away and made Illinois run the ball or made Illinois throw the ball. They did whatever they wanted to do. And, and you know, th- there are so many parts of this game that are, that are maddening, that are frustrating. But something that's, that's really been a thorn in Nebraska's side since this staff took over since game one against Colorado at home has been third down defense. I mean, that first year it, w- it was third and long. I mean, third and sevens, third and twelves, third and fifteens. Um, I charted them in, in a notebook that's, that's in the office, you know, in year two, just because I wanted to have that for a point of reference at, for all the third down conversions, third and longs that were picked up in year one. And now Nebraska's not only, last in third down conversion allowed on defense they're among last in third down conversion offense in the conference you just can't win football games when you're turning the ball over you're doing all this other stuff and you can't get off the field on third down and to your point about the third quarter you finally get a three and out your defense finally does the job and it was like they fa- the, the punter takes off and runs. I don't even think it was a fake punt. The punter it takes was. off and runs, gets the first down, and you thought, well, that was our chance. That was it. And Illinois is probably going on side. All right, let's reset. Let's refresh. Let's just go back to what we were doing. And they did. They marched it right down our throats. They didn't score. They got three, but they took away half the third quarter, and the game was over. Your offense was not going to come back after you take away one-fourth of the second half on one drive. And, and it was just utterly demoralizing. And after the game, you're, you know, we're all just sitting back and wanting to know from the eyes of the coaches what happened. What happened in that game? What happened during the week that, that allowed us to get here? Because, Greg, that's a team Nebraska needs to dominate at home. And they need to win that game. You know, during the offseason, we talk all the time about Nebraska needing to compete in the division and stop looking at Minnesota and Wisconsin as, oh, we got to find a way to beat those guys. We need to be the standard. We need to be the team eventually that everyone goes, we got to find a way to knock Nebraska off the pedestal. And, and we haven't even, it feels like we're, we're, we're just barely climbing the ladder to get to the pedestal because beating a team like Illinois should be an afterthought. And I don't know if the team thought that all week. I don't know if they were. You know, our, our worst thoughts did come true when they were lackadaisical during the, 
during the week, and they they came out flat, and they were joking around. I don't know what the deal was, but Illinois was prepared to hit Nebraska in the mouth, and they did that. And, and not only did they out physical us, they they pretty much dominated us in every aspect of the game, and that's what's frustrating, and that's why a lot of fans are aren't so optimistic about Friday because you know that's what exactly what Iowa is going to try and do. Absolutely. To accentuate your point about that it was a total team loss, Illinois had two backs over 100 yards. Brandon mm-hmm. Peters goes 18 of 25, so only seven incompletions on the day. Your special teams fail by not covering up the punter on the punt. You turn the ball over five times as an offense. I mean, it was a it was a total team loss. There's holding nobody. on the one yard line. I mean, yep, all kinds of things. I mean, you could we could sit back and and, and with with a fine tooth comb and fi- and every area right offensive line running back quarterback wide receiver d line linebacker secondary you could pick you could pick your wherever you wanted to find at some point during the game and and see how they that they messed up or or didn't execute and that's that that that's 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 really discouraging honestly sure is john in our text line for the last six years i've grown so weary of hearing coaches say these are things we can fix I refuse to be hopeful for that anymore until I see it. Don't say it. Just do it. Can't argue with you, John. Can't argue with you. Um, Chad, in Rising City, Ben, what what did you notice with the demeanor on the sideline during the game? Uh, from what we're told, it wasn't great. Um, you know, I think that was something. I saw that Omar was... Manning waving his towel a lot down there. Yeah, did did see that on some on some footage, but. You know, by all accounts, the, the energy just wasn't great from start to finish. So, I, I just, yeah, I can't, I, I can't say it was good. It definitely didn't translate on the field. You know, I, I, I've heard college football coaches say this for years. You play 12 games in a regular season. Coaches will say you can only get yourself emotionally sky high four to five times a year. The rest of the time, you better just execute because you can't get yourself juiced up like that every week. So then the weeks you don't have the emotional tank kicking, you better execute. Well, the execution was lousy on Saturday, no doubt about that. All right, let's head to the phones. Jake, you're up next on Sports Honda. Good evening. Jake, you're with us. Yes, hi. Hey, I just wanted to say it's just kind of my opinion. I know coaching has been a big problem before. It just seems that every time Nebraska has a bad year, we want to throw more money at different coaching staff and everything. I'm glad that we got Coach Frost, but I think it really needs to come down to – I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but these kids just aren't very good. I really think that. And I think saying they're so talented, but, you know, they look like they're playing – they look like they wouldn't beat Wesleyan. I mean, it's just terrible. I I think they need new talent. Uh, Appreciate the call, Jake. I – that that's one thing that I that I, I don't think I'm gonna buy honestly. If I, I mean, if being 100 percent honest, this this team ranks between 20 and 25th in the nation every single year in recruiting rankings. Do you do you want better players? Of course, every team in the world wants better players than what you have. I mean, that's the goal, right? Every recruiting class sign better players than the ones that you have. Um, I mean, you could thumb through all the recruiting classes the last few years, Greg, and find four stars. Um, you know, high-rated kids. You know, compare them to other. Compare them to Illinois, for example. Um, there is a large. On paper, there is a large talent gap 
between Nebraska and Illinois. So I, I don't I don't know that I necessarily agree that you know that our players just aren't any good. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that you could say that. I think there are rosters that are very comparable, and I do think that a, a lot of times we do put too much stock into what a class is ranked. I, I would put more stock into how a class is developed, but there are a very rare, very select few teams in a country that recruit well and develop well, and and you can really see those teams compared to other teams on Saturdays, and and just you know you you can just see that Indiana go go look at Indiana's last five or six recruiting classes, and and tell me that you know that that their players are. You know, they've developed their talent. They they have, they have made the most of of what they're doing, um, and I don't know. It's it's the age old question. I just I, I when I looked at Saturday, Greg, the, my first thought wasn't we don't have good players. I mean, I didn't walk away from that game going our players aren't good enough. I don't know about you, but I, I refuse to believe that Illinois had better players than we do. I, I just uh, I, I, I don't believe that. Yeah, I I don't either. Uh, that that Saturday was not about talent. Saturday was about will, execution, fight, grit, all of that. And Illinois won that category hands down. And the development part of it is a little concerning. Where is the development with some of these guys? You're seeing it with some players, absolutely. Guys have made progress. I don't know that you're seeing it enough. So, yeah, it's, that was not a talent deal on Saturday at all. Greg, one point to, to the talent thing. You're telling me Northwestern? As a talented football team, you tell me those players are talented. They they have a couple of really good players. Those linebackers are really good. Mm-hmm. Chucky Bowman is a good player, but those players aren't better than our players. Northwestern does not have better, like hands hands down, better football players than we do. They don't. They they just do every all the intangibles. They do co they they coach. They do everything that that requires you to win on Saturdays well which is why they're undefeated. Northwestern isn't an overly talented football team, but they're undefeated because they're completely bought into what they're doing. They have a system. They're well-coached. They're disciplined, and they play very sound football, clean football. And, and if you do that, it, it, makes, your, it makes you look talented. It makes, it makes your team look good. But I wouldn't say that Northwestern, like preparing for those guys, watching them on film – there wasn't guys that stood out to me and go, man, I'm really watching this guy. This guy really scares me. You did that with Penn State a little bit. There were a few guys on that team that you're like, yeah, that guy's special. I mean, that guy that, that guy is a difference maker with what he can do athletically. Patty Fisher, Bergen, those linebackers obviously at Northwestern are that way. But I don't look at Northwestern's roster and go, that is a really, really talented football team that should be beating every, everybody that they're playing that should be undefeated. So, no, I don't, I don't, I don't look at Saturday as a talent issue. Back to our text line, Justin in West Point said, I want someone to put a finger on something. The fixable things are always talked about each week, but no single area of the team is ever consistent. Put a finger on one thing and get it fixed. Hang your hat on something, right? Hang your hat on something. If we're going to be the best punt block team in America, be that. If we're going to be the best kickoff return team in America, be that. But, man, right now there just isn't one thing you can sit there and go, we can hang our hat on this right now. I, I, yeah. I, I totally agree. That's a great comment. Justin, is that who sent that, Justin? Yep. yep. Good good comment, Justin. Yeah, truly really good. All right, the coach today was asked, can you coach motivation? That was the lead of the press conference. Here was his response. 
Oh, it's our job to coach it into these guys. We got a lot of guys that have that. Um, we just, it wasn't there as a team. And it started in practice all week, I thought. And um, and we, we got to do a better job coaching into them. We certainly tried to coach it into them. Uh, I think a little bit, we got a young team that thought they won one game and everything was good. And um, the next one was going to be a, a win too. And that's not the way this game works. So uh, hopefully our young players learned a lesson and, and we won't let it happen again. You know, it... It, it's it's part of coaching, right? It's it's part of coaching to get your team fired up and ready to play. However you do it. That's why they do these psych-up videos before they get on the bus to go to the stadium. It's why we have a tunnel walk at home. It's part of that. But also what you do in the locker room, what you do during the week to convince your team they better be ready to play. Yeah. And something didn't didn't click, Ben, last week. That's pretty and obvious. And I think we need I think we need to dig dig deeper with what the head coach said right there we we need to this isn't just a, a play the clip and go on to the next type type scenario when i when i hear that we heard last week from the coaches greg how, how to avoid what he was just talking about we we heard from them that this can't happen we can't just show up on saturday expecting to so i know it was talked about we all we all know that the coaches said that at one of the coaches at some point last week said that to the players we can't just show up Saturday and expect to win. So so if I'm trying to figure out, analyze, okay, wh- how did this happen? You got to ask yourself, wh- where is the disconnect from what we're saying to what our players are believing or not hearing? Wh- right. Where is it? Because if it was talked about, if it was the message all week, it wasn't received clearly. So so why is it that when what you're preaching to your team isn't enough? Why is it that they have to learn that lesson the hard way? Good football teams and good football programs don't have to learn lessons the hard way all the time. Sometimes, yes, but when your coaches are telling you something all week or, or at least passing along to the media that this is what we're telling our team, how, how is it that this is where we end up on Saturdays, that that message is not received for six days and you show up on Saturday and just get boat raced in every single category. That, to me, is a huge issue. If your coaches are preaching something all week and you show up on Saturday and it still happens, like, that's a problem. That is a huge problem. Jerry in Rockport said, I think coach has to make some decisions regarding the whole program. Development as far as getting players ready is severely lacking. Coaching with tough love instead of being buddies with the players would be a start. I don't know that that – Scott Frost is buddy buddy with these guys. You 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 really can't be as a head coach. I mean, you don't you don't want to be mean. You want to be approachable. You want to be you want to make sure they know they can come see you if they've got issues that they need to talk about. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's a fine line you got to walk in there. And right now, it's not being done properly. I think we can all admit that now as we get into year three of this thing. All right, one more clip I want to get from the coach before we hit to a break. He was asked about how, how, as a coach, can you help instill some confidence in your quarterbacks, which right now are neither one's playing with a lot of, of swagger and, and making mistakes. Here was his response. Uh, pace has been good this year. Those guys are running hard. Um, they're evading rush when they need to. Um, timing on throws needs to be a little better. You know, we're really young outside, so it isn't that it's not all in the quarterbacks. Um, but overall, our quarterback play wasn't good enough on Saturday, particularly the turnovers. We got off to such a bad start. Um, 
but just like every week, we're going to let those guys compete. I've, I've been talking to those guys about just what you asked, um, being confident. Both of them believe in, in the type of player they are and the type of throwers they are. And um, they both have the capability of, of doing it. Back to kind of competition week. Uh, he would not commit to somebody as a starter today. That's fine, right? I mean, that's okay. I, I think you've had Luke for two weeks. You've seen some good. You've seen some bad. The mistakes are piling up. They sort of piled up on Saturday. And I, I think it's you got to look at it. There's some things yeah. that Luke does really well, Ben, and there's some things that he's limited in doing. Okay, yeah, so let's let's put some of the big picture stuff aside and talk about just some football things that happen on Saturday that have been happening. I, I was willing to give Nebraska a pass against Ohio State for their lack of of passing game, passing structure, where they were going with the football because I, I was willing to submit that Sean Wade and that Ohio State secondary took took that away from Nebraska. But I, I and I didn't want to just start throwing around, you know knee-jerk reactions but Michael Penix just threw for 500 on Ohio State yeah so let's not pretend like that secondary is is the best thing ever I think it is more of an indictment on what Nebraska is and isn't doing offensively um that's that's allowing that to Greg before that 30-yard pass to Wandale with Adrian's possession Nebraska's longest reception was 16 yards and this is a trend that's happened over the course of the season I made sure to watch as the game progressed where Illinois was lining up. We're talking seven guys in the box almost every single snap. I mean, they're daring Nebraska to throw the ball. So with all these young, talented wide receivers, like you've got to find a way to at least keep them honest. You don't have to complete them, but chuck a couple up there and let your guys go try and get it. You know, Marcus Fleming had six catches and 75 yards for Northwestern and doesn't have a catch. Does not have a catch the last two weeks. I think he's been targeted one time the last two weeks. I understand they're they're swimming it in, in in the playbook right now, but everybody in America knows Nebraska is not a threat to throw the ball past the sticks. And and I don't care if you're the smartest offensive guy in the world when you've got defenses that are just not even paying attention to deep routes. Out, I don't know how many times I saw a Nebraska receiver streak wide open down the field, and and we're not even looking at them. So, you know, it, that's just another thing that just kind of piles on that, you know, you're making life so difficult on your offense and on your running backs when you are zero threat to throw the ball down the field. And I don't care how smart you are offensively or how good of a scheme you have. If you're not showing that you're doing that, you're really easy to defend. Time now for the weekly breakdown. What a memorable first game at home in the Big Ten Conference. With color analyst and former national champion. All the games played for this historic program. All the great rushing days that we've seen over the years and way beyond my lifetime. And we've seen the best one here today against the top ten team. It's Mondays with Matt Davison on Sports Nightly. Well, we've had a couple days to process this one. What's, what's been uh, mulling through your mind the last 48 hours? Oh, I mean, just a lot of disappointment, Greg. I mean, this, this team um, had an opportunity to get two wins in a row and, and took care of business against Penn State and had an opportunity to play two games in a row at home and, and came out Saturday and just flat out wasn't good enough. Um, Started with the first play of the game and and turned the football over. Whether it was a, the correct call or not, still a, 
a play that you can't make and it just kind of spiraled from there and and um you, you turn it over five times a couple of those were on fourth downs where luke was trying to make something happen but still too many turnovers you give up a fake punt um too many yards on defense and and not good enough execution on offense i mean it's just uh there's a lot of blame to go around uh watched the film many times by now and it just wasn't good enough so disappointing it's it's hard and and all you can do is go back to work and try to fix those things and be more efficient you got to limit mistakes um every every team in this league is too good to to make these mistakes against and so you have to try to to limit those and be physical and, and be efficient on both sides of the ball and give yourself a chance and you don't give yourself much of a chance when you do some of the things that we did on saturday did you notice a lack of emotion with the team at all Saturday? Yeah, I think there, there's no question about that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's hard to pinpoint those things, you know, no matter how much you're around the team or, or whatever. But, you know, it's, it's the job of everybody in the program to be ready to play and and the players have to be ready to play and ultimately they're the ones that that have to go out there and, and be physical and play with a lot of heart and a lot of fight and and you hope that that um you know they can do that on their own and sometimes maybe it takes coaches and and other people to to get them that way so however it needs to get done there has to be more fire there has to be more readiness to to compete and um, I don't think it was there on Saturday for, for whatever reason. Uh, and, and hopefully it just never happens again because that performance was one that, that um, you know, you think about Coach Frost and me and the other guys on the staff that, that played here and have been a part of this program and know what it's like and, and, and how much responsibility comes with, with representing this program and putting a great product on the field. And, and Saturday was one of those games that, that you just want to forget about and um, hopefully never let happen again. So uh, that's the goal and try to get better, play a really good team on Friday. So we have to prepare really well this week and try to get ready to go. Coach Frost at his press conference earlier today said that it's kind of back to open competition again at the quarterback spot. What, what ultimately leans out? Is it just who practices better? Who gives us a better chance? What, what are some of the measuring sticks that you think go into the decision to decide which guy to go with? Well, that's the, that's the head ball coach's uh, question to answer. But you know, I just I just know that you know we're trying to, as a program, trying to play the best players that you can and give your team the best chance to win. And so whatever he's going to use to to ultimately make that decision is up to him. But. You want to play the best players and, and try to go out and execute as best you can. Defensively, one thing that seems to be has been kind of an issue really all year long, and that's the inability to get off the field. And, and even during the Penn State game, when we gave a lot of praise to the defense, and rightfully so, I think the teams that Nebraska is playing against are over 50% on third down conversion. That has to change, doesn't it? Oh, for sure. It's uh, it's just um, it it just takes uh so much energy you know to get to third down over and over and over again and then give up third downs over and over and over again and 
and it's demoralizing to a defense. So we have to be better there on really on both sides of the ball on third down. Uh, we need to stay on the field as an offense. We need to get off the field as a defense. And it's been a problem all season for sure. I think it was a, it was a problem last year. So, you know, you, you, you coach it and you talk about it and you practice it and you rep it and you do all the things you can do to try to um, do things a little bit differently, right? Um, so that you get different results. And we need def definitely need uh, different results on third down. And it's going to be big on Friday. You know, this is going to be a physical game against Iowa. It's usually never a track meet with them. It's going to be a game in the teens or 20s probably. And, and so every possession, every, every first down matters. Field position matters in a game like this big time. So uh, every yard and every snap is going to be important. You have to have a sense of urgency. You have to compete and fight and claw and do everything you can to do your job on every single play. And that's what we need our players to do and need our coaches to put them in a position to try to be successful on every play. So that's how we'll prepare this week and get ready for a tough one on Friday. Matt, one, one thing that uh, was, was good news that came out of that is it sounds like Colin Miller is going to be okay, not probably going to play, maybe not even the rest of this season. Have you had a chance to see Colin? How's he doing? Yeah, I saw him this morning. It was great to see him. Um, gave him a big hug, told him I loved him. And, you know, it was just good to, to see him and, and give him a big hug. And, to, to uh, see him standing there at practice was a good feeling for everybody. Obviously, it was a somber time in the stadium. It's a part of the game that that it really sucks. It's um, It was sad. It was scary. Um, but it could have been a lot worse. And he was he was out walking around at practice today. And it's good to see a smiling face. He's a, a great kid, a great leader, and uh, you know, great attitude. Really good young guy to be around. And, so, you know, hopefully he can get back to 100% and we'll see what the future holds for him. But just glad that things weren't uh, as bad as they could have been. Yeah, no doubt. You played in a handful of these Black Friday games. How big a deal is it to be a part of that? And is it's great publicity, isn't it, for the program? Yeah, for sure. There's not a lot of games and you play on a short week, you get you get the weekend off. It's uh, it's definitely different. You travel on if you're on the road, you travel on Thanksgiving Day, which we'll do this week and and um, you know, we played Colorado all of those years and now we're playing Iowa. They've gotten the best of us the, the last few years for sure and a couple of close games the last two years and uh, last second field goals. So, you know, we expect another close game and it's fun for players. I, I know that and I'm glad we play on Black Friday. I think it's, uh, it's a good thing for our school and it's a, a good game to have against Iowa every year. So I'm all for it. All right. Very good. Well, happy Thanksgiving. Don't eat too much turkey and we'll see you in the booth on Friday. I love the holidays, Greg. It's a it's a great time of year. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there. That's Matt Davison joining us on our Sports on a Hotline, brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. So noon start on Friday. We did learn today the Purdue game will be televised by BTN. We do not have a time. They're going to let this weekend's games play out and then slot time frames. Um, but BTN generally has two windows. They have the 11 o'clock window 
and then they have the 2.30 window. So Purdue, if you're making plans for the next Saturday, look for one of those two to be uh, the, the game time for Purdue. But we won't know for sure, probably until next Sunday morning. We're back on a Monday Night Sports Sunday here on the Husker Sports Network. And as we do each and every Monday, a chance to catch up on the national scene of college football. And none better to do that than Adam Rittenberg, who we will have his full attention tonight because the Bears are not playing. So you, you're locked in tonight, correct? That's correct, Greg. I actually <laughs> had to watch the NFL yesterday, and it was in wonderment. As, oh, my God, there's points being scored and great plays being made. It was an incredibly enjoyable experience because the Bears weren't playing. So, yeah, you got my undivided attention tonight. <laughs> you know, who else had a really good experience over the weekend were the fans of the Northwestern Wildcats. How impressive was that? And should Northwestern now be getting some looks at this playoff that we're going to be hearing the first standings tomorrow night? Right. Well, it'll be interesting to see where they end up because, you know, they've obviously played five games. Uh, they're 5-0 and and – um, you know, not as many games as some of those other undefeated teams that are in that mix. But you know, now they have a signature win over Wisconsin, a team that everybody kind of acknowledged was really good uh, going into that game. They had two 38-point wins. Now they were a little bit shorthanded at receiver, and you could see it. You know, and that's kind of plays right into Northwestern's hands because I think Northwestern's secondary is, is their best unit and uh, maybe their best unit since the, the 95 Rose Bowl team in the back end. I mean, that's just how good – this defense is for, for Pat Fitzgerald. You know, they're better on offense, but they're certainly not lighting anybody up um, as far as points and, and yards, but they do just enough. And in a game like that, I mean, I thought when they when they fumbled at the, the one-yard line uh, and yeah. Wisconsin goes back and, and scores, that was going to really hurt them because there weren't going to be too many other opportunities to, to score points. But then you know, their defense just locked it down and um, forced Wisconsin into some mistakes. So that, that's their formula more often than not to win games. And right now it's certainly working. Yeah, and I thought the same thing, that they didn't go up 14 nothing. That might come back to cost them, but they played such great defense. And very favorable schedule from here until the uh, the Big Ten championship game. Okay, Ohio State won the game, but how much respect did Indiana gain, Adam, in your eyes, with their play on Saturday? Yeah, a ton of respect. I mean, down 35-7, to it looked like it was over. Uh, Indiana had failed to con- – I really thought the key to the game, and really, honestly, you could still say it was, but the fact that Indiana – had those two early interceptions of Justin Fields, and I don't believe they converted any points. And that's just so important in a game like that because you know Ohio State's going to score points, and they did. But just tremendous fight from Tom Allen. I think we all watched his post-game locker room speech. And, you know, whether or not that resonates with you or me, Greg, it doesn't matter. It resonates with those players. They have bought in to the way Tom does it, and he is a genuine guy. And I think that has really shown throughout his tenure there and – uh, and why they're having so much success. And so, yes, I think they certainly gained respect. You know, they're scheduled the rest of the way. They, you know, they have, uh, they have Rutgers this week, but then, you know, still games with Purdue and Wisconsin. So they got to finish strong, but they should certainly feel good about what they've done so far this season. Yeah, they, it's been, they've been fun watch. The lot, you could see that program ascending the last couple of years. Okay, what, what, what happened in Tallahassee? I mean, there were mortar shots going back and forth between Clemson and Florida State on the late cancellation of that game. What have you been able to piece together? Right. Well, I think, again, I, I think like a lot of things, it's probably somewhere in, in the middle. I don't think one side is completely at fault here. Um, but I, I do think that there could have been more leadership from the ACC on how to resolve this, how to message this on the back end. 
I think the uh, you know, fact that Clemson had, even though he was not symptomatic all week, I think any symptomatic player right now, even if they test negative, the safest thing to do is to distance them from your team. I think that would have, I think that would have diffused this whole issue and allowed the game to take place. I know that would have been unfortunate for that player who hadn't even tested negative, but just to, 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 to kind of be safe here, that, 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 that's what Clemson could have done. They chose not to do it, and obviously it led to the uh, cancellation. I also think that a team should never arrive at a road game, spend all that money, do everything you have to do to go on the road, and then have the game canceled. I mean, we've seen this in the Pac-12 the last few weeks. Th- those decisions come before the team hits the road. Um, and so that, this should not happen. I think if a game is to be canceled, it needs to be canceled before the, the road team begins its preparations. And so that's where I think that there certainly could have been, um, you know, something, somebody stepping in and, and maybe providing a little bit more guidance. But ultimately, in this environment, if your medical people feel like it's too risky to play, they're going to be the ones whose voices are heard the loudest. Good point. Good stuff. Adam Rittenberg with us from ESPN.com talking some college football here on a Monday night. Okay, let's let's look to the weekend ahead. Notre Dame on the road at North Carolina. Sneaky, trappy type game, right? Carolina's good enough to give them a challenge, aren't they? Yeah, especially on the road. And Carolina's offense is terrific. Sam Howell, you know, is is maybe the best quarterback Notre Dame will face all season, although um, you know, they obviously have gotten some good ones with the Clemson freshmen, and Phil Jerkovich was really good a couple of weeks ago. But you know, this will be a real challenge for that Notre Dame defense, which has been outstanding really the last few years. Clark Lee, one of the better coordinators in the country, young guy coming up. I think he'll be a head coach in the near future. And then offensively, it's interesting. Uh, today, uh, Notre Dame coach Brian Kelly announced starting center of Jared Patterson out for the season with foot, a foot injury, which required surgery. Also, Tommy Kramer is out for this game after an appendectomy. So you're down two starting offensive linemen. However, Carolina has not been able to stop the run at all. And that's where Notre Dame should have a massive advantage, with, even with their two replacement starters on the offensive line. They're very deep, very good at that position, and they can run the football. And that should probably give them the edge. But I would expect points. I would expect a lot of highlights. And if Notre Dame can, can get through this one, all they would have left is Syracuse to get to the ACC championship game undefeated. Okay, so Notre Dame right now, you would expect tomorrow night when the first playoff poll is released, you would expect Notre Dame to be in the top four, wouldn't you? Oh, without a doubt. And I, I, I misspoke. They have a game, I forgot, a rescheduled game with Wake Forest on December Wake. 12th. So two more games yeah. after this. But to that, I absolutely think they'll be in the top four. I actually would be surprised if they're not in the top no. two, given yeah. the fact that they have the best win of the season. I think we'd all agree against Clemson, which was the number one team, at least in the polls uh, throughout this point. I mean, Alabama has Georgia. Georgia has fallen off. I think the the, the second best win of the season is probably Texas A&M over Florida. I would expect Florida to be ranked certainly in that top five, top six as well. All right. Any any surprises coming our way tomorrow night, or do you think it's going to be pretty much to form? Well, I think it'll be interesting to see where where they slot the two group of five contenders, Cincinnati and BYU. Is Cincinnati coming off of a win that I know will resonate with the committee over UCF on the road, even though UCF's not ranked? So they're very familiar you know, from Scott Frost's time and other, and other really good years that UCF has had. They know how talented that is and how hard uh, that team is to beat on the road. And so interested to see where those two are spotted. And then also, where is A&M? Where is Florida? Uh, you know, Florida, they have to play their way in. I mean, they got to ultimately beat Alabama in the SEC championship game. But A&M's kind of in an interesting position. They have that, uh, that loss to Alabama, definitive loss early in the season. 
but they've played very well since then. They have the win over Florida. They still have uh, uh, LSU, Auburn uh, left on the schedule. So they have an opportunity, I think, to uh, really uh, impress the committee here the rest of the way, possibly for a top-four spot. You, you mentioned BYU. The, the, the Pac-12 has now opened the door to allow their teams to schedule a non-conference game. Could BYU lock in a game here in the next couple of weeks and maybe try to make them more appealing to the committee? I think they're interested in doing so, Greg. It's just a matter of who that opponent will be. The, the tricky thing with the Pac-12 is that the Pac-12 will only allow a non-conference game if there's not a Pac-12 opponent to pair it again. So, you know, you uh, could, like, that was the issue with BYU. You know, they could have scheduled Washington, but then what if uh, Arizona State can't play this week and that Utah needs a game? The Pac-12 is going to essentially void that game between Washington and BYU and put Washington and Utah together. So that's what they want to avoid. Now, they have an open date this week. They also have an open date next week. And so does Cincinnati. And, and how much fun would that be Ooh. to see BYU and Cincinnati play one another? I don't know if the appetite is there on both sides, but uh, I think from a national appetite, we would all love to see it. Oh, sign me up for that. I, I, Adam, I don't have much juice for Auburn, Alabama. I Usually I'm really fired up for the yeah. Iron Bowl. I'm not that fired up this year. Am I wrong? Yeah, it's weird. You know, I just kind of remember this Iron Bowl week. I mean, normally this is the last <laughs> regular season game, and I think that's part of it, the fact that we have two – weeks after this before championship weekend. Um, and, you know, Auburn's been better, and they beat Tennessee. And, you know, they're, they're, you know Bo Nix seems to have uh, taken a little bit of a, a step forward here lately. But you're just looking at what Alabama's doing to everyone, and it's hard to envision, you know, Auburn, which, you know, struggled with Georgia early in the year, um, you know, and they lost to South Carolina. It's just hard to see them uh, finding enough to, to, to win this game. So, yeah, I mean, it's always fun. It's rivalry week, but it's just not the same. I think that's going to be the case for a lot of games here down the stretch um it, you know a lot of things in this season just won't feel normal but maybe Auburn steps up we know those players are prideful they won this game last year and so maybe they have a little magic for Bama this weekend yeah hope so all right thank you Adam we appreciate it great stuff have happy Thanksgiving you and your family we'll talk again next Monday yeah you too have a great holiday and enjoy the rest of the week thanks Greg Thank you. Welcome to the program. It's a Monday night. Sports on here on the Husker Sports Network. Coming up this hour, we'll have our weekend rewind. Ben, look back at the last couple of days. Lots of football. Love it. A lot of crazy, wacky things happen over the last couple of days as well. We'll have that. We'll have our weekend winners for you as well. We'll even have some time for some calls later on in the hour. You can dial up on our Sports Highly Hotline brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Let's get it going with the Rewind. See the game last night? Which game? Any of them. Oh, there's a cat. A black cat has taken the field. A black cat is running from the 20 to the near side, the 10. From the 39 in Dallas, here's a short throw down the middle, caught by Ingram. Caught at the 35, went to the 30. Now the cat running the other way, and so is Ingram at the 30 to the 25, near the 24-yard line. They've stopped playing. The players with hands on hips are watching the cat run and zigzag all over the field. Now a policeman, a state trooper has come on the field, and the cat runs into the end zone. That is a touchdown. Let's check out the highlights. Steven Jackson's David. Reggie Miller's looking good. He shoots a three, and it's good. Later, he gets the rebound, passes it to the man, shoots it, and boom goes the dynamite. It's the Weekend Rewind with Ben McLaughlin. This is the last week, Greg Sharp, without 
college basketball. All right. right. So we're gonna nice. we're gonna add a few a few things um, when uh, when things come our way again next week, next weekend, two weeks, whenever it is that we are back with this segment. Uh, but we will uh, go ahead and start as we always do with Big Ten football. Matchup of top 10 teams, matchup of the day in the league. Number nine, Indiana. Number three, Ohio State. Turned into a shootout in the horseshoe, but the Buckeyes just had one more answer for the Hoosiers. Snaps it to Michael Penix. Back at his 19. Throws up the right side. Intercept to Sean Wade. He's running down the left side to the Indiana 10 to the 5 and into the end zone goes Wade for a pick six for Ohio State. Sean Wade, junior quarterback, steps in front of the receiver and picks it off to give Ohio State a 41-21 lead on the pick six. Really the only blemish on Michael Penix's body of work on Saturday. 491 yards and five touchdowns for the Indiana quarterback. A lot of credit to IU for their fight. They outscore Ohio State 28-14 in the second half. 14-0 in the fourth quarter. Get the ball back with a Hail Mary chance, essentially, to go tie it. They're unable to cross midfield. Ohio State hangs on 42-35. But, man, what an effort from Tom Allen's Hoosiers. Sure was. It was probably also the game that will prevent Justin Fields from winning the Heisman. Not that he was probably a front runner, but he threw a couple picks against the best team they're going to play in the regular season. Yeah. So he's probably – I mean, he still may get invited to, to the ceremony if they do have an in-person one, but his chances probably went out the window to win the Heisman. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think that's probably a fair assessment. But Ohio State does improve to 4-0. and Expect them to be in the top four spots when the first college football rankings are released. All right, let's uh, move on to the battle of the Big Ten West, matchup of top 20 teams. It was undefeated Wisconsin, undefeated Northwestern, the Wildcats finish on top from Wisconsin. Snap to Peyton Ramsey. Ramsey with time winds up going down the right side of the end zone over the shoulder. Catch. Touchdown. RCB. What a catch. And what a throw by Peyton Ramsey and the Wildcats go back in front with 56 seconds to go in the half. And that would be enough. That touchdown right there from Northwestern. Ramad Chakio Bowman with the catch in the corner of the end zone. How about the effort from Northwestern's defense? That, that one to me, was the difference Make for me heading into that game, Greg, was Wisconsin's offense really hadn't had to earn it a whole lot in their first couple of games. They had to earn it against Northwestern, and they, and they had to fight for everything, and they couldn't do it. So tip of the cap to Northwestern, tip of the cap for Pat Fitzgerald, 5-0. and Not entirely inconceivable to think Northwestern's going to run the table this year. Yeah, look at the less what they've got left. I mean, they've got Michigan State, Minnesota, and Illinois. They'll be favored in all three of those games. And you know, Adam made the comment that you know Wisconsin was missing a couple of key receivers. Okay, well, I mean, everybody's got injuries now. You played four or five games, or I guess they haven't because they missed two weeks. But I mean, that's part of it, right? I mean, they just know how to. Northwestern just knows how to defend Wisconsin. I wish we could figure that out ourselves because, yeah. man, they do it every year. Yeah, Wisconsin uh, couldn't couldn't wait. I don't, I don't know that there was an, an injury postponement that they could throw out there for Northwestern to, to uh, make sure their receivers could play. But um, have to play all the rest of their games now if they want to be eligible. But even still, it's going to take a monumental collapse from Northwestern to get there. Yeah. The Iowa Hawkeyes are rolling right now. They beat up Penn State 41-21. 
Hawkeyes up 24-7 at halftime. Penn State is completely spiraled out of control. And after starting 0-2, the Hawkeyes, Greg, have won three straight. Kind of feeling it right now. Yeah, they've, they've pieced it together after losing two tight ones to Purdue and Northwestern. They're playing really well. And Penn State's turnover bug continues. They turned it over four times. Clifford back in there through two picks. They did play both quarterbacks. They're a mess. Penn State is just a mess, and they get Michigan this week. Oof. Yeah, zero and five for the first time for that for that program. Just Oof. bad, bad times for them. Speaking of Michigan, man, what a game it was in Piscataway. If you stayed up for it, you saw a heck of a finish. Federal is in the gun. He's got two backs to either side. Sets Pacheco in motion. He's back to throw. Pumps. A lot of time, a lot of time. Looks, throws deep in the end zone. That ball is intercepted. Michigan wins the football game. 48-42 with a stop in triple overtime. Three OTs and Michigan gets it done. Noah Vedral, great effort from him. Former Husker, 381 yards, three touchdowns. Throws the game-tying touchdown pass in the final minute and the two-point conversion to send it to overtime. But, man, what a effort it was from McNamara, the starter for Michigan's starting quarterback. Maybe that was the spark they needed, but uh, they're 2-3 and three in escaping Rutgers in triple overtime. I don't know that it saves Jim Harbaugh's job, but it makes this week a little bit easier if you're the maize and blue. Why hasn't he played before? Are you kidding me? Come on. He looked really good. He did. You know who else looked really good? Number one, Alabama. Hey, before you leave the Big, before yeah, you leave the big Ten, and I know this doesn't fall on the weekend, but it falls after we get off the air. How bad was the call at the end of the Purdue-Minnesota oh, game on Friday night? One of the worst calls I've ever seen, and it, wow. and it cost Purdue a win. Just an wow. absolutely train wreck of a call by the official. And we didn't we didn't get his name. They pulled his name off the live stats. So, man, <laughs> don't, don't know who it was that made that call, but that was – Not a good week for Big Ten officiating. Hasn't I mean I don't I feel like we could play that on repeat week after week but banner banner week for the conference officiating this last week uh, mentioned Alabama they beat up Kentucky sixty three to three the final score just pure domination of the Wildcats number one Alabama now seven and zero on the season sticking in the SEC sixth ranked Florida beats Vanderbilt thirty eight seventeen did you hear? about how Florida approached the locker room in Nashville this weekend. No. They purposely showed up to the stadium late. They got dressed, taped, everything at their hotel, refused to use the locker room in Nashville. So they got their pads on, got everything ready at the hotel, bust over to the stadium. They were late on purpose. At halftime, they didn't go in the locker room. It was like a peewee football game. They all sat in the end zone. And, uh, and and did that at halftime um, and then came out and played and, and ended up winning the game 38-17. I'm, I'm told that the, the locker room in Nashville at Vanderbilt, the visiting locker room, is, is just a joke. And due to COVID concerns, they wanted to make sure that they had guys spread out and weren't on top of each other in each other's laps. So they just chose not to use the, the visiting facility. Wow. I did not catch that story. That's wild. Absolutely. Almost as wild as the game at the bounce house in Orlando as seventh-ranked Cincinnati holds on for dear life. Desmond Ritter leads a comeback, and they beat UCF 36-33. Wow. I mean, this is about as 
tight as it gets, probably Cincinnati's biggest test uh, just checked off the mark there after holding on and winning by a field goal. Great win. Really good win for them. 8-0 now on the year. BYU beats up North Alabama as expected, 66-14. to We move out west to the Pac-12. What a game it was between UCLA and Oregon. Uh, the Ducks, though, needed to, to rally late, and they were able to do it against the Bruins. Third down with six seconds remaining. Back to throw. Going to step up and go. This throws it up. This one is picked. And a chance for a return for a score. 40, 30, 20-yard line. 10. Touchdown. He didn't go out of bounds, did he? Touchdown, Oregon. Touchdown, Oregon. Jordan Apple. Ducks had win it over the Bruins 38-35. They improved to 3-0, but that one's probably a bit tighter than they had hoped for. Yeah, as I said, I Oregon, they're undefeated, but they haven't just blown you away, and they needed to blow people away to get themselves in the playoff discussion. So they have not done what they really needed to do to get out of the gate in this thing, but good win for them there, and that was a huge play right at the end of the first half. Yeah, you bet. So good win for Oregon. They improved to 3-0. and Back down to the SEC we go. It's been a disaster for Mississippi State since knocking off LSU. They tried their best in Athens, but the Dogs was one score better. Third and long, three receivers to the near side. And Daniels takes the snap, drops back on the 48. Heaves the ball long towards the end zone. Kiaris Jackson, this time he caught it. Yeah! Touchdown, Georgia! Dogs had win at 31-24, the final. They're now 5-2, but, man, another tight one in the SEC. Georgia expected that one to probably be a little wider margin than it was. JT Daniels, though. How about JT Daniels in his Georgia debut, Greg? 28 of 38, 401 yards and four scores. That's Where's he done. been? Zemir, Zemir White had, had been kind of the bell cow. He only rushes 11 times for 21 yards. It's it's the arm of JT Daniels that got it done for, for the dogs in Athens that night. Well, again, kind of like Michigan situation. Where's he been? Right. Unbelievable. Yeah. We go to Bedlam next night game in Norman, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State. This one was all Sooners. Sooners nose on the red zone, leading 7-0. Rattler. Rolls right, looking, lobs. Henderson turns the corner. He's got room. Touchdown! Mikey Henderson. And the Sooners come out in Bedlam and throw a right punch and a left. They're up 13-0. And Oklahoma State could not stand up after that physical game, chippy game, emotional game. Oklahoma would roll, though, 41-13 their record to six and two they seem to have straightened it out a little bit yeah it, the, the big 12 could still end up being OU Texas in the title game big game this week in Austin with Iowa State going down there Iowa State's in first but they don't have the tiebreaker with Oklahoma no they do have the tiebreaker with Oklahoma but they wouldn't have against Texas if they don't beat them this week yeah Coastal Carolina remains unbeaten with a big second half over App State 25 to 6, they outscore the Mountaineers in the second half. So, Coastal Greg, 8 0. That was maybe their biggest test left on the schedule. So, keep an eye out for the chance as the, the rankings move along. Pretty darn good. They're, if you haven't watched them, they're, not, they're, they're fairly good. Yeah. That's what Ohio, Iowa State was against Kansas State. 45 0. Cyclones roll. Brees Hall, 135 yards, two scores. Uh, it was 35 0 at halftime. And Iowa State rolls. They're now 6-2 and two 
uh, on the year, 6-1 and one in league play. Out west in Utah, 20th-ranked USC battles Utah. Trojans finish 33-17. If you tried to watch the game, that's unfortunate. They lost the feed, <laughs> and with remote announcers, they were unable to, to comment on the game. You know, some of the risks you run trying to do this stuff remotely and, and not having broadcasters on site, uh, but UCA, yep. USC did end up winning 33-17. First game of the year for the Utes. How about that? They're like two weeks behind everybody else in that league. They they looked at two. They just looked like they weren't quite ready where USC had a couple games under their belt. Made a big difference. Well, the two teams that we're going to talk about next had nine games under their belt now to Utah's one. And it was NC State handing Liberty their first loss, 15-14. to 14. Greg, they outscore the Flames 8-7 to seven in the second half and end up winning uh, by one. And improves NC State's record to, to six and three. So the, the old Liberty Flames now in the in the loss column. A lot of people pushing Hugh Freeze, their coach, to be the next guy at Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. We'll see how that works out. Um, dealing with some demons back then in uh, <laughs> in his uh, in his old NFL days. All right, let's move to the National Football League next. Starting first in Cleveland with the Browns and the Eagles. Two straight weeks. It has been terrible weather in Cleveland, Ohio for a football game. This one was a rainy monsoon. Cleveland unable to, or excuse me, Philadelphia unable to come back. Cleveland holds on for the 22-17 win. Another big day for the Browns running back tandem, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. They win by five. Seven and three. Cleveland is seven and three, Greg. Playoff team. They are a playoff team. The taste of Hill, Hillix. Yeah, oh, they got to be. Yeah, hundred percent. Especially with the with the playoff structure this year, they they are in for sure. The Taysom Hill experiment uh, worked out pretty well for Sean Payton. Taysom Hill throws for two hundred and thirty three yards, rushes for fifty one, and a couple of scores. The Saints beat the Falcons twenty four to nine, improved to eight and two on the year. Bengals and the football team in Washington, and this this game is inconsequential except for the fact. With the injury to Joe Burrow, nasty knee injury. He is out for the season, torn ACL, torn MCL, and other structural issues with the knee. You just hate seeing that. He was on pace to shatter a lot of rookie passing records. And instead, uh, for Zach Taylor, Bengals fall to 2-7-1. Yeah, I, you hate seeing a guy lose a year. But as bad as that year was going for the Bengals, it may not be the worst thing for him to be able to sit out a few games to the end of the yeah. year. Not right. You don't want to see an injury, though. Panthers and the Lions. This was a slot fest. Carolina beats Detroit 20 to nothing. Uh, Lions with a gold goose egg on the scoreboard. And the Panthers improved to 4-7, and seven, year number one under Matt Rule. Expected a blowout. Got a blowout in Jacksonville. It was the Steelers beating the, the Jags 27-3. After one, Jaguars led 3-0, but then it was all Pittsburgh after that. Ben Roethlisberger throws for two scores. Deontay Johnson, the Toledo product, with a big day. 12 catches over 100 yards for the Steelers. Another exciting game in the AFC, as expected. Two teams that were in the playoffs last year. was Tennessee getting the better of Baltimore last year. Could they do it again for the second time in 2020? second half surge it just starts to wear you down and you saw the effort Henry gave cut back finish get through the arm tackle and Tennessee survives on the road and they win in Baltimore for the second time in 2020 
Seven and three now are the Titans. Greg Derrick Henry had 40 rushing yards going into the fourth quarter. He finishes with a buck 33. (laughs) (laughs) Just goes off in the second era, the fourth quarter in the second half uh, against Baltimore. Six and four, the Baltimore Ravens. How about that? And news out of their camp today. That rookie, J.K. Dobbins, and veteran Mark Ingram both test positive for COVID. So they're going to be on the shelf this week. It is just bad times right now in Baltimore. It's even worse times in Foxborough as the Texans beat the Patriots 27-20. to Cam Newton throws for 365, but the Patriots fall to 4-6 and six on the year, and the Texans get their third win of the year. The Dolphins bench Tua Tungavailoa late in the game against Denver. And the three-game win streak for Miami is snapped against the Broncos at mile high, 20-13, to 13, the final score. How about that? They benched Tua, go get Fitzpatrick at the end of the game, and he's unable to do anything. And Dolphins couldn't only, – only scored once all day, and it was on a short field after an interception. So Denver's defense was dominant. Seems weird to do that, doesn't it, to Tua? Yeah. He, he's bit. your guy. you gotta let him. You got to let him roll through those kind of games. Jets and Chargers uh, was a pillow fight. Los Angeles ends up winning 34-28. Jets finish six points shy of their first win. They are now 0-10 on the year. It was an exciting game to kick off uh, the the afternoon slate on America's Game of the Week. Green Bay and Indianapolis, this one went down to the wire. Field goal unit, field goal wins the ball game after the fumble by Valdez Scantling. Good snap, good hold, Colts. Win it in 34-31, the final. Colts get a big turnover there in overtime. Blankenship drills the point, uh, the field goal, and the Fighting Austin Ormans stand up. Colts, 7-3 on the year. Phillip Rivers outduels Aaron Rodgers. There you go. Yeah. There's your headline. Yeah, how about Jonathan Taylor finally getting going for the Colts? He, yeah. he, he looked like the back we expected to see. Didn't finish with 100 yards. Finished over over 100 uh, scrimmage yards. 22 carries, 90 yards. But he looked good for the Colts. Wasn't good news for the Vikings. (laughs) We expected Vikings fans on Twitter to be going nuts as they did last week. That was the case. Dallas wins over Minnesota 31-28. How about that, Greg? Andy Dalton's first game back after COVID and injury. And Dallas knocks off Minnesota 31-28. Can't say I saw that one. And did I hear this right? I think they play Washington, the football team, on Thursday. And the winners in first place? Absolutely. Everybody AFC East has three wins right now. The only difference is somebody has a tie. Oh, my God. So get excited for that. Well, we were all excited for Sunday night football as Kansas City tried to avenge an earlier loss to Las Vegas, this time in the City of Lights. Kansas City down late, but they've got Super Bowl MVP Patrick Mahomes on their team. Great protection again. Mahomes to the end zone. Wide open. Touchdown, Kelsey. Patrick Mahomes, who extends plays like no other. I'm thinking about this from a Chiefs fan perspective because I am. How frustrated I was with the defense yesterday. But think about this if you're a Raiders fan, Greg. Think about how well they played yesterday. How awesome Derek Carr was. You didn't have any of your defense practicing all week. You just had disaster after disaster going. 
and you still lose to Patrick Mahomes. Derek Carr was dang near perfect last night. Yeah. And you still can't beat them. Imagine how frustrated you are if you're a Raiders fan today. Yeah, no doubt. One of the, so Andy Reid got asked after the game, the Chiefs got the ball back with what, 143 or something like that? And I think they had a timeout left. Something like that. I may be off a few seconds. They did have a timeout. Yeah. And somebody asked Andy after the game, well, were you just taking field goal? He goes, no, I, I got Patrick Mahomes. I, I'm thinking we win the game at that point. <laughs> Crazy. Absolutely. It ended up working. <laughs> Chiefs uh, still with only the one loss. They're a game behind Pittsburgh for the number one seed in the AFC. But good win last night for the Chiefs. And um, How about good this? Good game. Fun game. 30. Kansas City's 30-3 and three in their last 33 games in the division. Crazy. Crazy. That's not terrible. Capped off capped off what was a pretty horrible weekend, to be honest. Uh, that, that at least put me in a decent mood going to bed last night. Yeah, you're right. Wasn't much fun up until that for me. All right, good stuff. That's a pretty exciting uh, batch of highlights here for the weekend. Final few minutes here of Sports Nightly on a Monday night. Time to name our weekend winners. Ben. Yeah, my weekend winner is Saints linebacker Demario Davis. Longtime NFL linebacker, terrific player. Um, got the news this week that his one-year-old daughter is cancer-free. Um, hey. and played, played with that good news yesterday. And you know, as a young daughter who's just about six months myself, I'm only imagining – what going through something like that would be like with a with a little one at one years old so he's my winner um so happy for him and his family and hopefully now that um you know that that's that's off their shoulders they can enjoy life a little bit more and he can play a little little bit more free football that is great fantastic tim what do you have well, my winner also comes from the new orleans saints uh but going to Taysom hill the much maligned Taysom hill for getting his first career start at quarterback and getting a dub uh on top of that so not bad for mr hill uh i was not expecting that seeing some of the packages they ran with him this year but uh, hey good for him nice austin what do you have i was going to take a different approach to the Taysom hill angle with all the espn fantasy owners that put Taysom hill at tight end this weekend for the last week that's done and gone but the, the main winner of the weekend is my indianapolis colts last year's five and two start turned into a debacle this year the colts are two and one after starting five and two in their toughest stretch of the year i'm not not completely sold on them but it's been nice to handle this tough stretch really well very good my winners the nickname Chanticleers. They got Ord a championship yeah. here in Nebraska, and Coastal Carolina remains undefeated. I mean, how can you go wrong with that, huh? Kind of feel like we need more of them. <laughs> kind of feel like we need more out there. <laughs> All right, tomorrow night here on the program, we will have practice reports from both football and basketball. Fred Hoiberg will meet with the media tomorrow on the eve of their first game of the 2020-2021 season. And we'll hear a football practice report as well as they get ready for the Iowa Hawkeyes in Top 10 Tuesday. I don't have a topic yet for that. Either one of you guys have one? We'll, we'll take suggestions. Hit us up on Twitter. Yeah. If you want us to grade. Yeah. And we, we've done the Thanksgiving theme a couple times. I think I may steer clear of that. But we'll have some fun with that tomorrow night here on the program. 